We're in Matthew chapter 7. This morning we're finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter number 7, and we're picking up verse number 24, and we're going to uh, finish the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, most uh, lengthy recorded sermon of our Savior Jesus Christ, and, uh, and God help us to, uh, again, just uh, hear what His Word has to say to us today. Today we're talking about foundation matters, foundation matters and uh, I heard a story uh, about a developer up in Canada who uh, built an incredible subdivision beautiful in fact it was a top-end uh, subdivision and uh, many people bought homes and uh, and it wasn't long before the homes began crumbling and uh, when they came back to the developer to hold him accountable come to find out what he had done was he built uh, this subdivision on top of a garbage dump because he bought the property very cheap and uh, and he didn't fix the foundation underneath the foundation that they were laying and as a result everything began falling down when you're talking about building houses although today we're talking about building lives but Jesus is using an illustration today about house building and uh, when you're talking about the foundation of a building it does matter even though it's unseen typically under the ground uh, uh, it does matter if you're building a dog house not a big deal uh, but but if you're building a house that you want to stand in fact in fact uh, I was out this week I was thinking about this whole uh, uh, when I think of foundations my father-in-law was a federal judge in Jacksonville and uh, he oversaw he was one of the members on the oversight committee for the building of the new building over this not new anymore but it was at that time uh, uh, a federal courthouse downtown 17 stories high and uh, and when they built the foundation when they were pouring the flooring of that building he said that what happened was they did a 36-hour continual pour for the foundation. So one uh, cement truck after another, after another, after another for 36 hours so that they would have a firm foundation upon which to build. And so if you want to go higher, you got to go deeper. And this morning we're talking about this issue of how foundation definitely matters. Matthew uh, chapter 7, beginning in verse number 24, and it begins with therefore, meaning it is a continuation of the thought. And so last week we were talking about, back up in verse number 13, Jesus, what he was doing, he preached the sermon, and then he was bringing it in for landing. We call that, we call that the invitation time. He was bringing it in for landing. You know, sometimes we struggle with the landing. We circle the pattern for a few days, or maybe a few uh, minutes uh, at the end of a service. But Jesus was bringing it in to, so, so that people might make decisions on what am I going to do with what I have just heard. And so it's a continuation. Today's an illustration of what he began last week we covered. Verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell. And the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And so Jesus was talking again uh, about not building, not building 
uh, uh, houses, sticks and bricks, but rather building a life. And he's talking today about the foundation, those things that are, again, unseen. Uh, uh, you know, it's interesting when you look back at the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount has everything to do. He's been addressing in great detail, uh, motives of the heart, heart issues, things that are unseen, not just what's happening on the outside, the manifestation, but rather what's happening on the inside. And the reason he was going there is because sometimes what we do is we look at our outward actions and we, and we judge even ourselves based upon our own outward actions and say, well, I'm okay with God because, man, I ain't never killed anybody. When the fact of the matter is we can create homicide of the heart and, and kill more people than Ted Bundy. I mean, our hearts can be really messed up on the inside. And so Jesus goes to the heart of the matter and says, Hey, <clears throat> I'm concerned about the unseen. And today, today he's talking again uh, about building a life. And, and, and I want you to notice several things about this invitation that he's giving here uh, uh, that, that I think are very interesting for all of us. So beginning in verse number 24, he talks about people project similar appearances. People project similar appearances. Just remember that on the outside. He says, man, there's two, there, there's two different houses that have been built. And when you're driving down the road, you don't know what the foundation looks like. All you see are two different houses in the same subdivision, built by the same developer. But at, at the end of the day, what's the foundation look like underneath the house? And that's what Jesus is talking about. Saved people and lost people from the outside sometimes don't look a whole lot different. In fact, the crowd that he was talking to today, if you were to look at their life, most people would look at their life and say, man, yeah, absolutely, they're saved people, they're religious people, they're around the church a lot, they throw scripture out there a lot, they even do a lot of stuff that Christian people are supposed to be doing. They do a lot of things on the outside, but the fact of the matter is they're lost, and Jesus is simply saying, hey, you can be lost and look like a saved person on the outside. I, I even heard this, I heard that Dolly Parton actually lost a, an impersonation contest that she entered into for herself. Lost to a man, in fact. <clears throat> it wasn't her, but I'm not sure about all that. But anyways, I do know that that did happen. Verse number 24, though, he's saying, hey, listen, <clears throat> they look the same on the outside. But, but, but therefore, as a continuation of the thought and what he's been saying and what he said, what we covered last week, beginning in verse number 13 and 14, is this, that in life we have a decision to make along the way. And the decision, basically, everybody has to make is there are two doors. There are only two doors or two gates he talks about in verse number 13 and 14. And the gate is the decision that is made. The gate is inseparably linked to the direction or the pathway that ultimately leads to my eternal home, my eternal dwelling place. The decision that is made is the gate. And so the question would be, what gate have we selected? We talked a little bit last week. I'm picking it up simply because last week we talked about this, and this is where he's going with this, is because there's a lot of people, there are a lot of people that are convinced, they've convinced themselves that, man, I am a Christian, when the fact of the matter is you didn't walk through the Jesus gate. In other words, Jesus, as he presents himself to be from Scripture, what happens a lot of times is people walk through the Jesus gate that I want him to be. 
And you say, what's the difference between a Jesus gate that I want him to be and a Jesus gate that he presents himself to be? Well, he presents himself to be Savior and Lord. What do you mean by that? That means that there's a door, and it's, and it's two sides to the same door. There's a Savior gate and a Lordship gate, and that's who Jesus is. He's both Savior and Lord. He's not one or the other, but he's one in the same. And so he wants us to come on his terms into relationship with him to walk through his door. The other door is the my way door, any other way door besides the Jesus door. But the Bible says in Romans chapter number 10 and in verse number 9, the Bible says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse number 9 of Romans chapter 10 presents two sides to the doorway through which we walk. That's the decision that each one of us must make in life is have I selected Jesus? I am saved by grace through faith, but I consider the decision that's being made. And a lot of times what happens to us is this. We see the Jesus door and we see the Savior door and we're grateful. Anybody and everybody should be grateful that, man, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I'm grateful for that. Even the demons believe that he did that, that he conquered death in the grave, that he's alive today. Even the demons believe that. Everybody wants that, but not everybody wants the path that's connected to the door. In other words, there's a lot of folks that say, man, I, I, I don't know about the lordship thing. I want the savior thing. In fact, I want the destination. And so ultimately what's happened to a lot of people is I have simply selected the eternal destination, but I haven't walked through the proper door, the surrendership to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's not only my savior, but he's also my lord. And so as a result, what happens is we, we, we begin to create our own religion. That's exactly what happened with these people that he's addressing. He's not talking to agnostics here. He's not talking to atheists as his audience. He's talking to religious people that are connected with Judaism. But what they did is they picked and chose what was important and what wasn't important, and they decided and they created their own religious activity. And they, because they created their own religious activity, now I know that, man, i got to be right with God. And the fact of the matter is Jesus says, if we back up for a second, verse number 13 and 14, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow and leads to life, and there are few who find it. And then from verse 15 to verse number 20, he says, hey, along the way there's going to be some false prophets. There's going to be some people that will teach you the wrong things along the way. But then he says in verse number 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, in the life of my children, in the life of people who have called on my name and been saved, you're going to find them to be obedient to my lordship. <clears throat> when you're talking about 
whether or not I'm saved. It's my prayer that we would examine ourselves. It's not that we might look at other people and say they're saved, they're not saved, because again, based on the illustration that he's using, you and I can't tell. All we see is what's on the outside. I believe there's going to be a lot of surprises at the end of the day. I think there's going to be some surprises who aren't in heaven and some surprises who are in heaven. Because it's not up for us to decide that. But at the end of the day, Jesus, throughout the New Testament, gives us direction. He's not presenting to us some kind of a hope so. Uh, he wants us to be assured of our salvation. But be careful that we're not self-deceived. In other words, a self-deceived person is not a person that's surrendered to the Lordship. And so when you're not surrendered to the Lordship, you have issues that come along. For example, finances. <clears throat> There's people that say, man, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. I've got assurance, but I've never given a dime for nothing to Jesus. I mean, Jesus himself. Do you know that Jesus himself, you say, why are you talking about this, preacher? Here's why. Because Jesus himself talked more about money than any other subject in the New Testament. And in fact, it was Jesus that said, nobody can serve two masters. Why are you bringing that up in this sermon? Well, here's why I'm bringing that up in this sermon. I believe that when a person's saved, they're surrendered to the Lordship. He's Savior and Lord. And when he's Lord of my life, I don't have a problem. There's a lot of folks that look like the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler was the one that Jesus said, go and sell everything you've got and come follow me. What was the problem with him? Everything he got was a lot. And I don't want to surrender to your lordship because I really don't like that one. And although we look at that story and say, man, that's crazy. That's crazy that man would hang on to stuff and walk away. And yet we have people that won't even give up a tenth. You know, Matthew, or, or in Malachi, Malachi chapter number 3, verses 8 and following, will a man rob God? You're, you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you're cursed with a curse. You're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Are you saying that you can buy your way into heaven? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But if you walk through the doorway that's inseparably linked to the pathway that ultimately leads to the destination, then I don't have a problem was submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. If I look at that and say, no way, no way would I give like that, then I'm just simply asking the question, have you walked through the doorway to gather together? You know, when we talk about gathering together, the Bible says in Hebrews 10, Verse number 25, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What he's saying? What I'm saying is we have a religious activity being practiced today that's foreign to the New Testament. We have people that are professing to be followers of Jesus Christ that, 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 that don't practice the principles that he has set out for us that are Black and white, clear as crystal. And yet there are many. And this is the sermon that he's been talking. He's, he's preaching this sermon. You say, Why? Jesus said that. Jesus said. There's going to be a lot of people that say, Lord, Lord. And the fact of the matter is, he wasn't Lord. Oh, oh Jesus, Jesus maybe. 
but not Lord, Lord. I want the Savior. I want my eternity to be secure, but I don't like the path that leads there. I'm going to do it my way. This morning is my prayer that we would just simply ask ourselves the question, am I on the right path? In fact, he tells us to examine ourselves along the way. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. The Bible says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? 2 Timothy says it like this in chapter number 3 and in verse number 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 5. He's talking about in latter days <clears throat> that people are going to hold to a form of godliness although they have denied its power. In other words, what happens is there are two houses. Back to Jesus' illustration. There are two houses and from the outside they really look similar. And so it is with saved and lost people. You can look. You can look the part. But are you the part? It's for each one of us to ask. Not only do we have similar appearances, people participate in similar experiences. They participate in similar experiences. Look at this illustration that he's using. He's saying, man, there's, a, there's, there's, these, there's these two houses that have been built. And, uh, and these two houses both go through the same storm. Both of them experience the winds. Both of them experience the rains. Both of them experience the floods. In other words, there are some people that want to believe, and in fact, there are some teachers who falsely will teach that, man, if you're saved and you just have faith, you're not going to go through these difficulties, when the fact of the matter is, whether you're saved or lost, we will experience storms in life. All of us. It doesn't matter whether I'm saved. It doesn't matter whether I'm lost. We will all go through storms. Why? Because we're living life in a broken world and all of us will go through difficulties along the way that's just part of the world in which we live in fact the bible tells us in james chapter number one and in verse number two consider it pure joy my brothers whenever you face trials of various kinds in other words what happens to us along the way living life in a broken world we will go through difficult days but praise god for the believer Praise God for the believer. The Holy Spirit is indwelling within the heart and we can find significance in the storms to the extent that we can even sing songs in the middle of storms. I mean, he brings significance. What's the significance in the storm and the life of a believer? Well, here's what the significance is. God can take all things and make them beautiful for us, and I'm grateful for that. But at the end of the day, the Bible tells us in Psalm number 119, and verse number 71, he says, It was good for me that I was afflicted so that I might learn of your statutes. In other words, how do I know? How do I know? that his grace is sufficient for his powers perfected in my weaknesses unless I'm weak. How will I know that? How will I know that he will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee? How do I know that biblical truth? Unless I have reason to ask the question. We go through difficult days, and in the midst of difficult days. There's significance in the life of saints. It's not just a, oh, woe is me, but rather, man, in the midst of it, I'm made stronger. I mean, it's one of the blessings. Number, for two reasons, twofold. There's two reasons that we go through these storms. Number one, so that we might know God. Number one, so that we might know God. 
There's ways to know him deeper through the midst of storms, some ways that we'll never learn otherwise. And so praise God for the deep waters. Praise God for the storm to know God, but not only to know God, but also to make him known. To make him known. In other words, when you're talking about darkness, uh, man, the, 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 the God's light shines brightest when the day is the darkest. And God uses those storms in our life. In fact, he's already told us in this very sermon that he's been preaching, Matthew chapter number 5, he says that, man, you're, you're, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Verse 14 of chapter 5, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In other words, he's just simply saying, hey, listen, you're going to go through storms. We're all going to go through storms. <clears throat> but the difference is, and the third point is simply this, there's different outcomes. There's different outcomes, both the here and now as well as the hereafter. Because we're talking about relationship. We're not just talking about eternal destination. Remember, we're talking pathway. We're talking doorway that's inseparably linked to a pathway that ultimately leads to an eternal destination. And Jesus is the way to life. And it's not just the hereafter, but it's the here and now life. It's, it's, it's that even today, no matter what I'm faced with, I can have joy. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those aren't things that we just talk about, these abstract possible ideas. We're talking about realities in the life of a believer, no matter what I'm faced with, that we can have life. And have it more abundantly. And that is the abundant life. The abundant life is like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The abundant life is the one that can dance when the fire is raging. Because Jesus is there. Not only for the here and now, but the here after. The here after as well. Aren't you thankful for the here and now, though? I'm grateful for the life that I have in Jesus Christ. I am so thankful for that as believers in Christ. I mean, I remember, I remember just talking about the here and now, the here and now days. Uh, there's always been difficult days, but it was a week ago, in fact, uh, that we just passed uh, an anniversary that, that, that happened in our life where, where Bonnie was told that she was going to be dying within the next three months. Some of you know the story. Some of you don't know the story, but we were young back then. We're still young today, but we were younger back then. And, uh, and, but, the, but the doctor came into the room and said, Hey, uh, you have three months to live. And I can remember being a 23-year-old at that time and not knowing, what am I going to say to my wife? But then we got home and we began to talk. And the talk led to a song. And we just got on our knees together and sang it as well with my soul. I'm grateful for the songs in the night, the here and now, but also the hereafter. The Bible says that the hereafter, for one, we have an eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ. But to the other, how great will the fall be? The Bible says the rains fell in verse 27, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. You know, when you're talking about life and when you're talking about eternity, do you know for the believer, for the believer, for those that are truly saved, 
the closest I'll ever come to hell is what I have today. But do you know that for those that have not walked through the doorway of Jesus Christ, totally surrendered to his lordship, oh, he's my savior and he's my lord. For those that have never come through the right door, this is the closest to heaven that you'll ever get. There's two outcomes. There's not a third. There's not a hope so. No such thing as purgatory. There's a heaven and there's a hell. And one day, we will spend eternity in one of two places. And the question for each one of us is, where will I be? Where will you be? Have I walked through the right door? Interesting, because Jesus talks, verse number 24. Watch what he says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. He doesn't say believes in them. He acts on them. If we back up to verse number 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Verse 14, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. What's the narrow road? The one that's biblical, surrendered to his lordship. But he says, if anybody acts on these words of mine, they may be compared to the wise man who built his house on a rock. Say, so why are you going there? Because in verse 28, it's interesting when you look at the public response to preaching. You know, when you're talking about the word of God, the word of God demands a response. The word of God demands a response. The gospel demands a response. Not just a discussion. Not just admiration. It demands a response to obey or to disobey. Not what I think about, but either I obey or I don't obey. Verse 28, when Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. All too often what happens is when we get into the presence of God's word, we feel like we just need to evaluate rather than to act. And the evaluation typically is, man, that was a good sermon or that was a not so good sermon or I don't think this or I don't believe that. When the fact of the matter is, it ought to be, number one, was it biblical and number two, what will I do with what I've heard? That's the decision that needs to be made. I think often about salvation, and for me, I'm grateful to God for my salvation. I'm grateful to God for Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, because it's in Him that I have life, and I'm grateful to God for that. Never been a moment, never been a moment in my years being saved that I regretted being saved <laughs> he's been so good to me but when i think about this issue of salvation when i think about the decision that we must make along the way because a lot of times what happens to us again we're living in in a day in which it's something called easy believism what does that mean that means you just say a prayer and then just live like hell and then you're going to go to heaven one day well that's 
somebody show me in the New Testament where that's taught. It's not, it's not taught. That's not taught. I don't, I don't care what you believe to be true. That is not true. It's not in the New Testament. doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means we're striving. But I've often thought about this issue of salvation to be saved, and I wonder why, why is it that so, sometimes people just reject the whole idea? And uh, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis had an illustration that he talked about <clears throat> why it is that sometimes people have a hard time with the gospel and an invitation to come to Jesus Christ. And he said, it's kind of like, like when I was a child. This was C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said, it, it, when I was a child, I, used, I remember when I would get toothaches. And, and my mama would give me some painkiller to put there. Uh, and, then, and then she would want to take me to the dentist. Uh, but he said, but I wouldn't want to go to the dentist. <laughs> he said, all I wanted was just the pain to go away. I didn't want the healing that would come through the hands of the dentist. And he said, that's the reason why oftentimes people won't come to Jesus Christ. I just want, I just want heaven ultimately. But I don't want the direction that comes from the heart and the hands of Jesus Christ. My question to you today is simply this. Have you come through the doorway of Jesus Christ? Two sides to the same door. He is our Savior. He's Lord. Have you come through Jesus? And if not, I'm inviting you to come. We are saved by grace through faith. I am not for one moment suggesting that we are saved because of our obedience. But when we are saved, Jesus said, you will do the words of mine. Obedience. God, help us. <clears throat> Would you do me a favor and join me for a time of prayer this morning? We're going to have an invitation time here today. I, I, I just want to ask you a question. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Is he? Have ever been a time in your life when you said, man, I need to repent? That's why John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, Paul, Peter, every last one of them recorded in Scripture when they gave invitations and when they preached sermons, it was a call to repent. What does repent mean? Repent means to stop doing it your way and to turn around and start doing it his way. To surrender to his lordship. I'm going to stop living the way I want to live. And God, I want to live the life that you have for me. Has there ever been a time in your life when that's the decision that you made? The Holy Spirit of God helped you understand that, man, you are a sinner. I mean, the Bible is so clear. All of us, every last person, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that sin separates us from God, but God in His great love demonstrated for you and for me His love, and that while we were sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. He paid the price for me. The wages of sin is death, 
Jesus died on the cross and he took your sin and he paid the price for your sin. He conquered death in the grave. He's alive today. He wants an intimate relationship with you. And man, if you don't have a relationship, I'm not talking about religious activity. That's what he was talking about. That's the crowd he was addressing in the sermon that he preached. I don't want you to be religious, just activity. Man, I want you to walk with me. That's the call. Are you following him? Are you walking with him? If not, won't you come today? Love to have the privilege and opportunity to speak with you, to talk with you, to pray with you, to help you in this journey. Hey, maybe you're here this morning and you say, man, I, I know that I am saved. I, I have no doubt about my salvation. But boy, along the way, I have tripped and fallen. And today I need to get back up. Today I need to get back up. Aren't you grateful that we have a God that says, man, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. has to do with fellowship with our Father. Are you walking with him? If not, I, I want to encourage you today. Start fresh and new. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song. As soon as we sing this song, this morning. It's an opportunity to come. I want to invite you to come today. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you, God, for your grace, for your mercy. Oh, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for teaching us from your word, God. And Lord, I pray that we would receive your word. Oh, God, sometimes it challenges our own belief system. But you are Lord, and you are God. Father, today I pray for those that may be here. Only you can give life, only you. So God, would you knock on doors? Have your way during this moment. Thank you for this day. God, I love you. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.